Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Cybersecurity Amplified and Intensified with your host, Eric Taylor, myself, Shiva Maharaj. And once again, we're joined by Vince Kressler of Darkcubed. What's up, Vince? Hey, guys. Good to be back. Good to have you, man. back. So I know Eric is uh, in a tizzy about some farming infrastructure. Want to kick that off, Eric? Yeah, what's going on, gentlemen? It's good to see you again, Vince. So yeah, like we were talking a little bit, you know, Black Matter has essentially hit some sort of U.S. farmer cooperative. And the cooperative is coming back, according to some of the screenshots that were posted on Twitter. You know, hey, we're infrastructure. You said on your website, you're not going to hit infrastructure. So, you know, why are you hitting us? What, you know, give us our keys back, you know, help us out. You know, we're, we're not going to pay you. CISA is going to ask for, you know, answers in about 12 hours, things of that nature. And it really seems like a big escape, uh, scapegoating t- type of tag that they're using. You know, this is what I want to pose to the group to start this whole conversation off is our businesses really taking the stance that, Hey, we are under a certain class of industry. So ransomware folks are not going to come after us because, you know, that's affecting the supply chain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like you're a criminal and you're not going to attack me because you said you wouldn't. And I expect you to honor that. Like I just, if, is, is that the, really the state that we're in today? That's what like, it your defense is like, I'm off limits. I it don't have seem to like security. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, even they, most of them will say, if not all of them, yeah, not all of them, but most of them will say, if you're a hospital, we're not going to attack you. Right. So. I think that leaves a guard down. It's like, oh, well, you know, yes, we're insecure, but we don't have to worry about ransomware quite so much because 90% of them said they're just going to leave with the F alone as soon as they figure out we're a hospital. Yeah, but history has shown that that doesn't work, right? You know, it's the same concept as, okay, an arson comes into your house. And as long as you're, you have Jesus posted up on your wall. They're not going to burn down your house because they don't want to make Jesus upset. It's the same concept. There's a fucking arsonist. They're go- they're made to burn shit down. <laughs> Look, I, I appreciate the honor among some, of, well, quote unquote, honor among some of these ransomware groups, but they're not everybody, right? And I, I think if you're a critical infrastructure company, if you're a hospital, you know, and, and a major ransomware group says they're not going to attack you, I think that's fine, but that doesn't mean somebody else won't. Right. I mean, it's just to rely on that as your security strategy is pretty ludicrous. But that's endemic across all industries, right? Everyone thinks they're never going to get hit until they get hit. They will spend a lot of money shortly thereafter, but inside three months, they're back to you tightening the burst strings on cybersecurity. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm getting hopeful that people are are no longer of that mindset that like, it's not going to happen to me because it's happened to so many people, but you know, who knows? It's not, it's not cause I can literally tell you that, you know, we have clients coming to us even today that were like, oh, we thought we were secure. Oh, we thought we were, you know, not going to be affected because why would they ever hack this, what you would call it freaking business, right? That's. They just don't understand you're just a number, you know, they're right. running show dance scans. They're running in map. They're, they're, you know, we actually have one 
I can't go too deep into it, but it looks like it may be an exchange server exploit. The sysadmin says that they potentially patched the server. It doesn't look, they actually did. They didn't pr potentially provide the remediation, but the sysadmin is claiming up and down that, oh yeah, we did that. We did that. So the owner's under the impression, oh yeah, it's been done. Huh. So, you know, it's, there's no trust, but verified. There's no due diligence. There's nobody double checking to make sure crap is done. And I think that b b besides not wanting to spend the money, the ones that are spending the money, I don't think are verifying shit. I have a question for events with yeah. what your product does, dark cubed. How many times have you been deployed and you were able to prevent a ransomware event because you blocked off access to the command control? I don't know if I have a number for you there. I know we have a number of our, uh, of the customers that we work with that deploy us in what they call hot environments, right? Like they get an IR, uh, th that's ransomware or other, and, you know, speaking directly the words, uh, for one of our customers, it's like the first thing we do on an IR is we drop in dark cubed and things slow down really quickly. Right. And so, you know, we're. We're not pretending to have a big sock, which is why we're not, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but you know, we've been very effective at, you know, as people drop us in at slowing down the, the bad stuff that we're seeing. As an IR company, I can vouch for that. Even in our run book of engagement, it is part to, you know, getting CrowdStrike in there, starting to pull logs, starting to do the analytics and the forensics and all that we're dropping dark cubed as well. You know, we want as much data as possible. So, yeah, and you know, we we're continuing to modify our processes behind the scenes in terms of you know the threat intelligence we're pulling in and the sources we're grabbing. I mean, we're now identifying things like Cobalt Strike servers and adding those into the lists. And so, you know, if those sorts of things are in your environment, we're going to disrupt those commit that command and control um, as soon as we're up and running. Now. You guys, from our last discussion, you know, I'm not a marketing guy, so I'm not going to say, hey, we're the solution. But what I can say is, uh, based on the feedback of customers that are using us, we're very effective. As long as you're not telling me you're built on AI, I'm good. <laughs> I think AI ML. Yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. There's, you know, and this is going to be a poke at ThreatLocker. Because they, when the whole Kaseya crap came out, ThreatLocker was like, oh, we could have stopped this. No, no, shut the fuck up. No. Um, did you guys see anything uh, related to that attack with your clients? Which That's, one? The Kaseya. With the Kaseya attack on July 2nd. Did you guys yeah, see anything? We were actively monitoring the indicators associated with it coming out of folks. Man, we saw, you know, we saw no activity across our customers with those IOCs. I mean, we saw one going like one of them was active a year and a half ago, but you know, and we put out a notice to our customers, just a heads up, you know, here are the IOCs here, you know, as you may or may not remember, we launched a new notifications platform in uh, January, February timeframe. And so you can actually drop those IOCs into a notification and get alerted if they show up on your network. But, you know, in a lot of these cases, you know, we're not, you know, some of these, some of these more sophisticated attacks, like we're not seeing those IOCs in our customer base, which, you know, is, is, is interesting to me, right? It's either, you know, 
you know, these, the, the, the fear and uncertainty that's being spread in the marketing or, you know, the smaller end of the market isn't being hit as much. Um, but we're seeing a lot of activity from just this bulk commoditized scanning and attacks that are just targeting everybody. Well, I, the other really cool, I was gonna say the other really cool thing we've seen lately is, um, we have an integration with gray noise. I don't know if I talked about that last time Yeah, where like great, uh, heavy gray noise has an awesome, uh, kind of global infrastructure where they're looking for people that are doing automated scanning, looking for zero days. Like when a zero day gets released in the wild, they're seeing people scanning for POCs in like minutes to hours. And, uh, we're tapped into their API as part of our scoring process. We've absolutely seen examples of a new server gets stood up, gray noise picks it up and we block it, which is pretty cool. That what's the, cool. what's the turnaround time on that kind of thing? Typically. Minutes to hours. It just depends on like when I mean, somebody sees it, like less than, yeah. you know, a day, I think is oh, fantastic, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. And, and, and I, I've started to use automated intelligence instead of artificial intelligence internally to our com company, because we found like you can take smart thinking around some of these processes and, and automate it with code across all of our customers, which is really cool. Like the benefit that our customers are seeing by some of this work we're doing behind the scenes, you know, they're not even aware it's happening, which is good and bad, right? Like it's, you're protected without having to think about it. Are you guys doing anything for the work from home slash work from anywhere thing with maybe an agent coming out for those not behind a firewall? It is a, it is a big priority for me and for us, um, you know, any, any growing company that you have to choose between following the market and focus. Like right now, our core focus is making the product work as effectively, as efficiently as we can in our core area as we grow and scale. Um, we are in the middle of fundraising discussions now, and a key part of our roadmap is solving that, that we built, uh, we built a POC that, you know, made some progress where we integrated, uh, WireGuard. So I don't know if you've messed around with WireGuard, but they have a nice, um, agent that comes out with WireGuard. It's integrated in the Linux kernel now, but it's instead of using, instead of using credentials for a VPN, you use a public private key. And so we built a capability early in COVID where we said, you know, let me deploy a WireGuard agent on all the endpoints and then have all that traffic route through a server in the cloud and then deploy DNS protection and dark cubed on top of that. Um, and we had some good success there. The challenge just ends up being like that market is swamped, right? Like in terms of VPNs and protection and, and wh what's the right price point and how do you get the right scalability? So we, we had some success on that POC. It's just, how do you scale that in the market is hard. Okay. So are, is dark cube, um, is dark cube with an agent or possible agent deployment? Are you going to be essentially just pulling a bunch of windows event logs, syslogs or syslon and PowerShell logging for reporting back for a complete picture or what's your end goal there? I think in the, the, the near term, and we're talking 12 to 18 months, it's strategic partnerships with people that already have endpoints, right? There are a lot of endpoints that are deployed out there that are already seeing network telemetry. So integrating with those endpoints to pull the, the telemetry and, and augment. So you may have endpoint X deployed on your, across your, your customers already. And now you can just kind of get a single pane of glass between your firewalls and your remote workers. Like that's the near term view. Like we don't, we're not going to get into the endpoint market. Like there, there are too many endpoint companies that are focused on security. We'd like to augment that. And what are the firewall brands you guys work with right now? Cause I know you dropped Unify just by the nature of how they operate. 
not that Unify is a firewall, at least to me. Uh, yeah, Unify is a, a funky example. Like we had emailed them um, about doing some better integration. And, you know, when you poke around what's going on behind the scenes there, it's, it is not friendly for integration at all. Um, but it's just, uh, it's crazy what they've done at Unify and, and there's no, there's no security that, I don't know if it's no security, but uh, there's little security. <laughs> there's like the block lists, like this is something that was funny to me and, and I'll put a disclaimer that maybe they've updated it, but, uh, you know, when I went, when I, I was actually doing some of the integration testing with, with, uh, ubiquity and you look at their block list and they update daily. So it's like, you're subscribed to all these block lists, but it's only updating once a day, right? Not even, not even every hour. <laughs> so it's like, it's just like, it's just bizarre. Uh, That's too little for me. Uh, I think the, for us, like the ones that are super fast and easy, you're talking like Meraki, Sonic Walls, Palo Alto's, FortiGates, some of the more challenging ones, depending on uh, the behind the scenes stuff, you're, you're talking the, the Cisco ASA, you know, with those ASAs being phased out. Um, Sophos, um, there's some, some trickiness to get the blocking working. PF sense, you know, works pretty well on the logging side. There can be some, some trickiness in terms of, of how the PF sense itself is configured. Uh, and then with watch guards, we can do kind of logging and, and scoring and visualization, but the auto blocking isn't, isn't up and running on the watch guards. Yeah. What are the emerging threats that you guys are seeing these days? You know, you know, across the board, you know, we're, I'll answer that two ways. You know, one is just the bulk scanning for vulnerabilities and POCs and looking for exposed ports. Like that's what we're seeing a lot of people are just getting hammered. Um, I've always said, like, if you're connected to the internet, you're getting hammered. Like, I don't care if you're a dentist office in, uh, Hoboken with two employees, like if you have a public IP, you're getting hammered. Um, and then, you know, on the threat intelligence side, kind of, we're watching a whole assortment of stuff. Um, you know, we're watching, uh, forum spam lists. We're watching block lists. We're watching malware command and control lists. And, you know, the way we think about these sources is not necessarily you know, I don't care if some, if an IP shows up on a forum span list or, a, or a malware command and control list, what I care about is like, it's doing something bad and, and how confident are we that it's doing something bad? And that confidence comes from how many different sources have told us how much we trust those sources and how recent it's been. Right. So if, if, a, if a bunch of sources say an IP is bad yesterday, we're pretty confident that's bad. I don't care what it's doing. I'm just going to block it. Right. And, and if one source said it was bad a month ago, you know. I'm pretty, I'm not very confident it's bad anymore. So, you know, our whole mindset is like, how do you, how do you take this human analyst element out of it and stop focusing on exactly what the bad guys are doing and more, what infrastructure are they using and how can you be as quick at making those decisions as possible so you can block it. Speaking of infra infrastructure, and this might trigger you, RXO. Sorry, not sorry. All these cloud SaaS applications out there are they doing anything remotely like what, let me phrase this properly. Take Salesforce, for example. They should be scanning or they should be looking at the IPs coming in and out of their systems. Mm -hmm. 
I would say they probably have a security team and they're spending resources in the correct way to help them. But the smaller guys, like maybe the Datto RMMs, the Kaseyas, SaaS platforms or Enable or ThreatLocker, for instance, can these guys use your product on their systems? Because let's remember the cloud is just somebody else's computer, right? So it's not like this ephemeral thing up in the sky. So, you know, as a, as a tech technical founder and entrepreneur, like my mind goes in lots of places and I've had some, I, we've actually done some pri side projects. One of them with a very, very large publicly traded data company. Which one? Where... Tell me. I can't tell you. <laughs> Is it Palantir? Uh, no. He can't tell us. I don't know. He paused. It could be. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's not try to get our buddy in trouble now. Come on. <laughs> and, and the whole idea here was like, they have a massive API infrastructure and people are globally using that API infrastructure and they, they're pretty confident that bad things are happening, but how do you do that at scale? Right. And like, um, and so we did some, some proof of concept around the ability to, uh, you know, look at that traffic, identify anomalous, bad stuff using our scoring as a, as a front end. And, and I think we're pretty effective. Um, the challenge just becomes you know, how do you price and prioritize that amongst the other products? And, you know, again, going back to like one of, one of the, my mo for anybody out there that's, that's in the startup world or thinking of doing a startup, like one of the biggest challenges is focus, right? You've got to pick a, pick an area and focus and dominate that area. And the more widespread you get, the less effective you get. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guarantee you, like if we, if we shut down everything else we're doing and said, we want to focus on like API security protection, like there's a product there for us, but it's like, where, where do we focus our time and energy as a, as a, you know, as a fast growing team here. So. Well, is so, it possible to start, is there anything on the roadmap to start ingesting AWS logs or anything like that into your system? We can do that today. Awesome. With CloudTrail, CloudWatch. Yeah, we have a, we have a couple of companies we've worked with in terms of ingesting those logs, um, in, in processing them. Yeah. To be, to be blunt, like, I think, I don't know if it's five years or 10 years, you know, I think this concept of a firewall goes away. Right. And so, you know, for me, you know, we are focused on this segment today. Um, and it's an important segment, but we strategically, we have to be focused on cloud and, and, and endpoint, right? Like that's where, that's where the world is heading. But is the firewall really going to go away when all these cloud solutions are still going to use some form of firewall or Azure front door? It depends on, yeah. You know, if you're using like a load balancer in AWS, like what do you put in front of that load balancer? Like you're going to the idea. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you know, you put, you kind of break the idea of a load balancer. And so like, if, if you have, there does have to be the ability to monitor an instrument. And the, and the biggest challenge today is like an AWS and these other infrastructures to put that in place is, is expensive. Like they keep launching all these cool tools and talking about like, th these are great. That's going to improve security, but you start pricing those things out and the, and the cost goes way up. Um, and I don't think that's something that, you know, folks are prepared for in general is like, you move to the cloud, you start to get all this infrastructure up there, the cost to monitor it and, and store those logs is going to be higher than you think. Um, so. Oh, a thousand percent. I don't think that monitoring is, I don't think the pricing for monitoring has scaled enough for the SMB. I think if you're a 
Bank of America, you know you're going to spend a billion dollars on cyber. Right. But, you know, the, the company in the DIB that's doing 20, 30 million a year, they're not looking to spend a million dollars on security, even though they should probably be spending five. Did you know they can get it for free? Tell me more. That company, the dip company can get dark cubed for free. Oh, that's right. Cause you guys have your thing with the, uh, Pentagon that you yeah. mentioned the last time, right? Yeah. There's a group within the defense Cybercrime center, DC three called dice. Um, and they funded a program called dice three for dark cubed, where they're giving away dark cubed for free to these dip companies. And that's been an, that's been a fantastic, uh, piece of work for us where, you know, we're, uh, not only are we doing what we're doing in the commercial world, but we have a standalone environment for them in AWS GovCloud and the government's giving their, giving us their secret sauce indicators to protect those dip companies. So we've taken that business process from the government, giving them a CSV file of which most people had no clue what to do with to being automatically protected by having those incorporated in dark cubed. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. And it's personally, it's part of like one of those key missions I set out to solve when I started this company. So it's very gratifying to, to be doing that work. That's pretty cool. Now you remember you talking about that last time, um, when it was on this, uh, on your last meeting with us, the, the one thing I wonder to see if we can try to pivot to, cause we're always talking about security and, you know, let's just leave CMMC and the dumpster fire that that shit is out of the equation. But before you go on, I will say that. Our last call with Vince taught me that compliance is an absolute waste of time in its current incarnation and just go towards security and leave the compliance regimes to themselves. So for the most part, yeah. <laughs> so when a company is new or a company wants to start looking at cybersecurity from a whole, just taking some compliancy out of the whole mixture. What would either Vince as a person or Dark Cube say is the top three things that folks need to be looking at? And then if we start folding back in compliancy, where does those three things uh, line up in a compliancy standpoint? Well, I, I guess the way I always talk about this is you know, I think the punchline at the end of joke for at the end of the joke for cybersecurity for all of us geeks is it's risk management. It's just boring old risk management. It's like, what are the threats and vulnerabilities and consequences, and what resources do you have to solve them? So, in terms of like, what are the couple of things you do? Like, the first question is, how many resources do you have? Right? Do you have a dollar? Do you have a hundred dollars? Do you have a thousand dollars? And then, how do you prioritize that against? kind of the threat and vulnerability and consequence infrastructure you have. And, and the first couple of things are really simple, like two factor, like you got to have two factor in place because users are dumb and are going to give people their password. Right. Um, second is you can't have users be admins on their machines, right? Like it makes it really simple to install malware if the user's an admin, right? And if you don't have any visibility into that machine, nothing else matters. Right. And then the final point is, you know, and this is you know, a little self-serving, but I be believe it in my heart of hearts is, you know, you need to have some sort of, of ability to, to know when something bad is happening. And that's where kind of instrumenting your firewall with something like dark cube to say, Hey, I've been, I've seen zero threats for the last two months. And all of a sudden I see a thousand bad things on this network. Something has changed, right? It's like a smoke detector. 
something bad's going on. And exactly, exactly. That that goes one of the uh, key points. Of one of the things I always talk about is lag aggregation and being able to go through those logs, um, being able to say, you know, I'm looking at my firewall logs. I'm looking at my windows, Syslon, PowerShell logs, and I'm looking at my cloud logs and being able to parse all that information together and being able to say what the hell is going on. And we used to find that so many people are not doing that or don't have the ability to, they just think one or two people in an internal team or you know, an MSP of under five is able to get these things type of things accomplished and they're not. Yeah. Well, saying, saying it respectfully, like you and I are geeks that enjoy that and can do that. And most people, like you tell them to go through those logs and look for something that matters. And it's like, they might as well be like reading the, what are the, the Sanskrit, right? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what it means. Right. And so, you know, for me, like, I, I like to simplify it and just say like, you know, how do you know when to pick up the bat phone and call for help, right? Like what's, what's the indicator that something bad is going on? And it really is as simple as like that smoke detector analogy. Like, you know, it drives me insane. Like on the Microsoft side, like how many office 365 instances have been nailed by a phishing attack and you go in for IR and see like 50 IPs from Nigeria. Right. Yes. Yes. And like, how is that possible? Like that's, it's so freaking obvious that something bad is happening there, but nobody raised the flag until something bad happened. Is Darkcube doing anything to parse the logs, the 365 logs for IPs? Not yet. That's coming up soon. Okay. I'd be interested in that because I've gone through most of the managed stocks in channel and they're all not for me as nicely as I can put it. Well, the fundamental issue with a managed stock is price to value, right? Like if your model is I'm going to have tools and automation and humans, there's a price to operate that, mm -hmm. right? And then I'm going to charge somebody the money to do it. So if I charge you for a full-time person, right? And some of those tools, you're like, that's way too freaking expensive. If I charge you $1,500 a month, you're only getting a fraction of time out of that person. And, and they're, they're from a, a motivation perspective, they're motivated to give you enough information to make you feel like they're taking care of you, but not overwhelm themselves with time and energy that they lose money. My problem with the managed socks that I've experienced in this channel are they don't work at all. <laughs> like I have specific examples where they miss things. Yeah. They will blame you for misconfiguration despite sending out emails a few weeks prior to an incident saying, yep, we're getting all the proper telemetry. Everything's working. You're good to go. We're here to protect you. So I've seen it all and I've heard all the excuses. And that's why I like something like a dark cubed. It's because it's very simple. And I, I don't mean this in a bad way for whoever's listening. It's a very simple product. We look at your logs. We tell you if they're bad, you set thresholds if you want to automatically block it or just be alerted or both. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think if you start with something like that, you can build your own security practice, not necessarily a SOC, but as a provider or an internal IT, it puts you in a much better position because now you're being actionable as opposed to having the illusion of security because you're paying a managed SOC. Yep. Now, my second question there is, 
are you guys going to integrate with any of these managed socks or sock platforms so they can see the alerts you're generating to create some type of remediation or automation? That remains to be term to be determined. Um, I think it's clear that part of our roadmap has to be integrations and partnerships. And we've had feedback from a number of our customers, you know, whether it's Perch, whether it's other platforms that we really need to look at integrating into those for, you know, MSPs that may support up and down the stack. Like the ability to integrate with those platforms is something that people are asking us about. Well, I thought Perch was an all-encompassing sock. Why would they need somebody like Perch, uh, Darkcubed? Because they don't work. Dude, sorry, I just got a hard off of Perch and the crap that it is. And just to put it in perspective for your events, I, I was a Perch customer. We did, I did a POC with them for about six months. And part of that POC, uh, Eric was banging on the front door, on the door of a firewall as loud as can be. And they never knew. They never said anything. They never did anything. So. And it went on for days. Like if, at first we tried to do a little bit of covert and we're going to get a little ADHD and a little bit off topic here, but, um, <laughs> but you know, never. What's, new, what's new for us. Right. But we were, we tried to do a little bit of covert stuff, you know, Hey, will they pick up this? Will they pick up that? And after a while, there was no alerting at all going on. So I was like, I was like, all right, Shiva, I'm just going to go like a Mack truck with a Jake break going down the interstate. Let's see what they find. You know, anybody who doesn't know it, you know, hear it da -da 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 going down the yeah. road, everybody hears that. So I went at that for over 24 hours, not a peep. And I was changing my VPNs. I was coming from, you know, Korea, Japan. I even came from my home residence. At one point, I'm like, whatever, fire up three Cali VMs, attack, you know, just so much, so much noise. And yeah, it was just crickets. I'm like, why really? Mm. I would, I would, I would venture to guess if I had you guys on there and correct me if I'm wrong here with proper alerting set up either to my PSA or email, I would have seen him coming at some point and I would it would have either automatically been blocked or I would have been given enough time to block him. Yeah, I would, I would probably put money on the fact that some of the VPN infrastructure he was using have, have been used for attacks before those things would show up as nines and gets blocked. Right. Right. You would see that you would see indications of that happening. Now I'm pretty clear in saying like, if, if somebody stands up a brand new infrastructure, that's never been used for an attack and targets you, like our methodology is not going to pick that up. Right? Like we're not looking for. No one behavioral based activity, right? But no one in the IP scanning. Yeah. And mo most of these attacks that are, that are being successful are just, you know, these people are not hiding because they don't have to, right? Like they're just coming from known bad infrastructure all the time. Um, this actually brings up a good, a good question for you. It is dark cubed blocking tour connections, or is there an option in the portal to start blocking any inbound tour connections? It's another feature request we've had. We, we are using that as a source of data and flagging those, um, at, you know, the early iterations of our product, um, were built on this idea like, let me take another step back. When I, when I started dark cubed, I was, uh, supporting the department of Homeland security. And I, I had just built this program called enhanced cybersecurity services, which was designed around this concept of taking, uh, TSSCI indicators from like NSA, Cybercom and other places, sending those through the Department of Homeland Security 
sharing them via an agreement with AT&T, Verizon, CenturyLink, and others to protect critical infrastructure from nation-state hacks. Right, so I just kind of built this infrastructure. And so when, when I f first built Dark Cubed, it was around the idea of, you know, I wish there was a way that we could protect tens or hundreds of thousands of companies from known bad infrastructure, but not reveal sources and methods. So that heritage is why there's not a lot of data between in our UI around, you know, why it's a nine, why it's a seven, right? Because we wanted to say, we want to be able to take sensitive indicators and not reveal how or why we know it's bad. As we've evolved, it's become important to start to add in kind of some better context there. Um, so, so just to give you a little bit of a background of kind of why we think about this, the way we're thinking. I want some, anybody who's listening to this to really take a step back and really take a moment to think about this. What we're talking about, you know, Vince and the advancement of dark cubed and even, you know, as much as we hate, we pick on perch a lot. Cybersecurity is always an advancing topic. It's an advancing landscape. If you are not taking yourself and advancing your me methodologies, your knowledge, and, or partnering with somebody who does, you're being left behind and you're going to be open for breaches. That's the biggest thing I think people need to take away from this conversation so far. It's, you know, I want to stress that as much, you know, for a company like Purge or anybody else who has a managed stock and be like, okay, we may have a glaring hole here. Let's partner with Dark Cubed or somebody else. Maybe that's a kudos to them to say, hey, we need to advance even our skills. I don't know, but you always got to be looking at the next level. You got to be looking at how to ingest and learn and grow to become more secure because by nature, the United States as a whole is so far massively behind on cybersecurity. Yeah. That's why they attack us, right? And, you know, the Mathis group, the, the posts, all the hacks that they go in and, you know, they, they even come out and say they target us because the us companies are, would rather insure a liability than protect from a liability. It's cheaper for the end customer. But going back to what Vince mentioned about dark cubed, I like the fact that your sources are anonymized because once you start talking about to a degree TTPs and how you get that intel, these guys will adapt and change. So the title lid you can keep on that stuff means that you are going to be a far more effective product for me and my clients for a longer period of time. And that's what I don't like about a lot of vendors out there. They like to give you their day by day, play by play. And I always thought that compliance was a really neat way for hackers to put together targeting packages against industries and companies, because it's all laid out there. That's the bare, from a company standpoint, compliancy is the bare minimum they have to do to not get fined. So typically their security is going to be the bare minimum required. And that's ideal targeting, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's, you know, hackers are smart. They're in this to make money. They're in this, like, I, I think in a lot of ways, they have a much easier job than the defenders, right? Like how hard is it to go buy CrowdStrike and Silence and Huntress and all these other tools and instrument a bunch of VMs with those tools and run your exploit packages by it, right? Like this is happening. And so this, this is part of like, part of this better mouse, better mousetrap world of like, um, you know, are you trying to detect the behaviors or signatures? Or are you just saying like, whatever infrastructure they're using, we're going to block as quickly as possible and make it more expensive and harder on them to do it. Right. And I think that's, 
you know, it's a key part of, of our philosophy here is like, you know, if we can make it harder and more expensive for them to have to keep spinning up and changing infrastructure, we're going to slow them down a little bit. Um, we're going to, you know, raise the floor on what it takes to be successful. Um, and then I think it, you know, we going back to like some of those basic things you'd implement, you know, if we, if we're able to kind of detect some of these phishing sites, if we're able to detect some of these command and control sites, it, it makes some of your basic controls more efficient and gives you more time to focus on some of these other capabilities. Where do you see dark cubed in two years? In two years, you know, I think we will be fully embraced, uh, kind of a partnership integration model where, you know, different endpoint agents will have dark cubed integrated in, right? So, you know, I think about, you know, let's let take name your endpoint and you're doing, um, kind of detecting malicious events, responding to them, um, kind of an IR perspective, but then you also need to have the higher level view of what's coming in and out of your network, where your data is going. Right. And so we're going to complement that. And, and to me, like, I think if you're a, a company with a big budget and a team of analysts, go, go for a, a SIM tool. Like, that's great. Like have fun. Most of the market doesn't need it. What, what, what people are trying to use SIM tools for is to get visibility that things are changing and things are going on in their environment. Like we want to be that product where you don't have to have analysts to be more secure. We can rely on automation. We can rely on the technology that exists to, to make people more secure. Do you, where does dark cube see themselves in the hierarchy of compliancy as a, uh, uh, as a whole, and does dark cubed really see themselves being a part of the CMC auditing process coming forward or working with auditors to help make sure they're doing any sort of compliancy? Absolutely. Uh, you know, most compliance framework have, have some element of network monitoring, threat intelligence, integration, threat sharing, you know, and those are, are some of the boxes that we tick and we do it in a way that, you know, frankly is more affordable than anything else in the market. Right. And so when you're thinking about the, the end number of things you have to do to be compliant, whether it's, you know, whether you're, you know, in Australia and you're thinking about things like ISO and some of these other emerging government frameworks or you're here in the US and you're looking at CMMC, like you got to check the box on the network monitoring piece. You got to check the box on the, on the detection piece. You got to check the box on, you know, are you actually consuming threat intelligence to protect those networks? And, you know, we help, we absolutely help check that box as part of a, of a, of a more com comprehensive approach. Um, I think what's interesting, um, not to go down kind of another, another rabbit hole, but like, I don't know if you guys have seen some of these reports that have come out of CISA around managed service providers in this framework, these frameworks that they've pu published for MSPs, like they're publishing a bunch of guides. I guides laugh now. It's, I laugh at it. It's all bullshit. I mean, yeah, the, it the is. Guides are. And <laughs> I think when you look at this guidance, like it's like, you know, multiple pages of detailed guidance around how a business should pick an MSP. Like, I don't think a single business is going to read it, but I think the smart MSPs out there are going to say, you know, we have, we're, we're paying attention to some of these compliance frameworks. We're making sure that we have a security stack that kind of covers the bases on, on these things. And in my proposal, I'm going to, I'm going to attach this, like, uh, 
this uh, risk considerations for managed service provider customers, this guy. I'm going to attach that to my proposal and say, hey, ask anybody else you're getting a proposal from if they're doing these things. Like it becomes a great way to kind of go. I like that. Editors. I'm going to, I'm going to copy that from today. But my problem, this may have just raised the tide. My <laughs> problem with, and it's not really a problem with CISA and what they're putting out. It's the fact that they have to put out that single factor authorization, uh, authentication is bad. Like as an IT provider, you should know this. You don't need a, you don't need a government institution to come tell you not using MFA is bad. Yeah. Right. Like that's where I have an issue with the standard of people in my industry, not necessarily the vendors, but, uh, you, if I recall correctly, you built a lot of the early systems and processes over at Homeland. So I was, a, I mean, it, it's a very large team. There are lots of people. We'll there. give you all I the was, credit because we don't know anybody else. So they don't count. Don't worry about it. I, I was, I was in the room helping those folks th think through, think through those strategies. I actually, one of my, one of my projects back in like, I don't know, 2012, 2013 timeframe was to write like the five-year technical vision for the Einstein program. Like, and that was such a cool project. You got to interview a bunch of people about where technology was going. Um, what, what the government should be doing around intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, everything. I'm not sure. It, I'm not everything. sure it ever went anywhere, but it was, it was a really cool project. Oh, it's government. Of course it did. It's not just a spending exercise. Of course it went somewhere. But the reason and I think, sorry, when, you, when you're with the CISA guys and the Homeland security folks, like you're, you've got a multi-billion dollar budget in this cybersecurity program, right? And what that means in the federal government is, is you're a high priority program for Congress. And when Congress is like looking down your shorts to make sure you're doing the right things, like you're not going to be taking a lot of risks. And so like part of it is like this fundamental issue we have in government where, you know, if you don't take risks, you're, you're, you're safer and more secure than if you do. And when you have large complex systems, it's hard, it's hard to turn that shit. But don't so you think we should be taking more risks and trying to defend? I do. Um, but it's hard to like, how do you balance that with a, don't with a large it. program where <laughs> don't balance it, turn that, turn that tanker on a dime and go after them hard. I mean, if, if I was in charge and I probably wouldn't be in charge for long, um, <laughs> but you'd make it, uh, <laughs> you know, there's that a lot of, tool. there are a lot of commercial companies doing a lot of interesting stuff. I'd spend, you know, I'd spend money on 10 endpoint providers and make them compete in the real world and, you know, fail fast, right? Like that's what, that's what you can't do in government today is like fail fast. You can't, that's what you should you be able build. to do though. You should be able to. That's how you innovate and that's how you, Correct. you know, you get better. But the reason I ask about, uh, Homeland is because recently they came out and said they wanted to create a new compliance regime in line, basically a civilian version of CMMC. Yep. Which I am pro because I, I like the CMMC level of having various levels. Personally, I think government and private sector should have that one compliancy, various levels to identify maturity and that's it. And then call it a day. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you're relying on a compliance security regime that is based on attestation, you're screwed. Right. right? Because people will look at, they'll look at 800-171 and say, I'm not doing any of this, but I could say I'm doing these things based on some other stuff I have. So I'm going to attest and, you know, there's no fallout. So I love, I love this move to like an audit based 
framework that says, we're going to check to make sure you're doing all the right things. The hard thing is how do you do that in a way that's affordable and effective and isn't riddled with all sorts of, uh, don't make it affordable deals. (laughs) Don't make it affordable, raise the barrier to entry. And I, I think you need to get rid of the C3 PAOs and let the DOD audit them, you know, have the OIG or some version of that do the audits for the government, right? Yeah. But I always say by the DOD for the DOD. Um, I do want to be mindful of your time. I know I can go on and on about shitting on compliance and loving CMMC, but I know you have a hot, hard stop. Any uh, closing thoughts? No, I think loop, looping back around to kind of a, a question you asked earlier, Eric, around some of the basics. You know, I think if you haven't started up this journey, you know, if you are not doing two-factor across the board, you're wrong, plain and simple. If you don't have control of your endpoints, nothing else matters, right? Like users can't be admins on their machines. You have to be able to have access and visibility into what's going on those. You have to be able to have some visibility into like the amount of good and bad that's coming in and out of your networks. And then, you know, from there, you know, I think you focus on doing the best you can around patching and, um, you know, you know, I know historically IT folks and, you know, I'm a part of this community, like we've always thought of patching as, as a rough, bad thing because you're going to break systems. You know, I think you just got to go for it and just patch, right? Like you just got to turn on automated patching and let it happen. And I'd rather break a system and have to deal with a trouble call because my accounting department can't access something than to get the call that all my accounting information has been, you know, given over or encrypted. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we're really in that mindset of, of, of managing risk. And so, you know, just getting focused on doing the easy things and, and getting started and not being afraid of like, if I look at the, uh, say this, the CIS, you know, there's 18 controls. I don't want to get overwhelmed by saying I've got to do everything and just, just get started. Take that first bite. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Exactly. I mean, just by simple mint, uh, going through and be like, oh, these are three items that I could, I know I can implement right now. It's not going to take a whole bunch of time. You're at least getting started. It set a yep. goal, you know, each month I'm, or each week or each court, whatever it is, you're implementing and documenting X number of controls. By the end of the year, you're fully done. Yep. So anyway, before Vince turns into a pumpkin and goes into a bunker in an undisclosed location, because, you know, that's the kind of guy he is, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks again, Vince, for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending yet another episode of the Amplified and Intensified, where we talk about cybersecurity. If this has been a benefit to you or you know anybody who would be beneficial from hearing from these topics, please forward it to them. Please give us a rating on your Apple device or on YouTube. Until next time, take care.